When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.
Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Got a great episode tonight. You're going to love this one. We have Jake Liskow on, our Bengals guest expert, who is going to tell us about the Cincinnati Bengals roster, post-draft, post-free agency for the most part. There's still some free agency out there. Jake, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me back on the show. It's been, I think, at least a full season. I, I, we didn't talk in 2020. And I think we did talk when Andy Dalton was probably quarterbacking the Bengals and they weren't a very interesting team. Well, we'll, we'll for certain have you back on for one of the two Know Your Foe episodes. The Bengals, it can sometimes be hard to get two different Bengals uh, uh, guests for Know Your Foe. But there are lots of good uh, podcasters in the AFC North, some good bloggers, some really good analysts in terms of the depth on their team. And, and that's certainly uh, why we got you for this one here, Jake. Uh, tell folks, first of all, where they can find you on Twitter and anything else you want to talk about where your work is posted. Yeah, so I host the Locked on Bengals podcast, and we do have at least one Ravens fan that listens to us regularly. He occasionally will tweet some, some you know, well-natured smack talk to me, and, and <laughs> I, I don't mind that. But Do I, I mention his Twitter handle? <laughs> I don't recall it. I think he got banned and had to make a new one. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know the story. But uh, we do the Locked On Bengals podcast five days a week. Uh, myself and my co-host, James Rapine, who covers the team locally. He's in Cincinnati. I'm actually way out on the West Coast, so I don't get to see them in person very often. But he was at OTAs on Tuesday. Uh, for Joe Burrow's big flashy, oh, Joe Burrow's throwing in the first OTAs. It's a big news thing. Uh, so that was fun. James got to uh, witness that in person. He covers the team for SI. You can find me on Twitter if you care to, at Jake Lisco, just my full name, L-I-S-C-O-W, the last name. So that is where you can find me, and that is what I do. Oh, yeah, and I guess I started doing the... Uh, the national locked on NFL show once a week as well. So, so I cover the entire NFL once a week for the locked on podcast network. That's on Thursdays, but that's another daily show with a bunch of great hosts. And so I do that one day a week now as well. Very cool. Okay. So five sets of rotating hosts there on the, on the NFL podcast. That's right. There's a different host or hosts on each day. I think Monday is a solo show and each of the other days of the week have uh, have two folks talking back and forth oh very cool very cool congratulations on that thank uh, you let's move on to the Bengals here because this, okay. is, this is obviously Ravens fans very interested in what's happening in the rest of the division it's easy to overlook the Bengals uh particularly after the last time that the, the teams met in week 17 uh but they come back and and it's a very talented young roster and it's a roster that uh has a lot of players included in this draft that that ought to be scaring Ravens fans but I think we have to start with Joe Burrow and maybe talk a little bit about about what you expect what's a win for Joe Burrow out of the 2021 season First and foremost is health, right? If he is healthy for the entire season, that's the biggest thing for him. That was the biggest thing for him last year. And the Bengals and not really Joe Burrow, through no fault of his own really, did not accomplish that goal. He did take a few scary hits last year. He got hurt, obviously, on the scariest of those hits, and it was one of those things that for Bengals fans immediately triggered PTSD, the hit in some ways, or, or the contact, not necessarily the hit, but the, the picture of what happened to his leg just immediately evoked the images of Carson Palmer yes. in, in 
that Pittsburgh Steelers playoff game in early 2006. So for me, that that triggered some PTSD from my childhood a little bit. And uh, going back and watching the play, I subjected myself to it, and I watched what happened. Jonathan Allen just has this mean hug move. He, he has one of the best bull rushes in the NFL. And Mike Jordan, young guy playing left guard, not necessarily the best equipped to handle his bull rush, which beats pretty much any, anybody in the NFL at some point in time. And the, the way he does this move, he, he gets his inside arm wrapped around Mike Jordan on the play. And he's pulling the back in. And I, I just I don't think there's any amount of core strength that is going to be able to anchor when you have that kind of force going into your back and you, you know, you, you can't anchor on that leg when he's pulling you from that side. And so they, they end up both losing their balance and falling into Burrow's leg. So um, not to go into that injury as I did, whoops, I apologize. Um, that that's, makes it, you know, priority number one for the team, priority number one for Joe Burrow. But if you asked him, he wouldn't say that. He would say we need to go out there and, and be a winning football team and compete for the Super Bowl because that's the kind of person that Joe Burrow is, regardless of how insane that sounds to fans, myself included. You know, this team going from a four-win team to competing for a Super Bowl, I can guarantee you that is Joe Burrow's mindset. If you listen to the guy talk, if you if you are familiar with Joe Burrow as a human being, the competitiveness is off the charts. He's had a great recovery. By all accounts, his doctor recently saying he's ahead of schedule in his rehab. And Mm -hmm. I was not expecting him to necessarily throw in day one of OTAs, but I wasn't surprised. And the reason I wasn't surprised is because the Bengals coaches were working with their players to kind of negotiate essentially the, the terms of the OTA so veterans would show up. And one of the reasons that Jesse Bates, the Bengals' current NFLPA representatives, mentioned as to why the veterans decided to show up is that Joe wanted to throw, right? And so if your quarterback coming off an ACL surgery, who the entire team has and immediately had an incredible amount of respect for, you're going to show up and, and you're going to practice. And the entire veteran roster did. So I, I think he's got the team behind him. And for him, you know, your question was, what are the goals for the season? And certainly it's go win football games. Yeah. Now, it's, you, you mentioned the respect Burrow has already in the clubhouse in his second season. That's great to see. I mean, there are obviously a number of, of quarterbacks from the 18 class that didn't really come together for quickly. Even Baker Mayfield, I think, you know, some of the ways that he swaggers around are, are, are not even liked necessarily by his own teammates. And then he backed it up with a pretty crappy 2019 season. But Josh Rosen obviously didn't work out. Sam Darnold, I think you know, people are hot and cold on him in terms of, of whether they like him internally, whether they thought he was really the answer in New York. Uh, but uh, Burrow, the, the, the respect is fairly universal. And and uh, coming off this injury, I expect big things of him this year. Uh, he, uh, he certainly, he's a guy that I feared even in the first game against the Ravens. And they got after him a little bit. The, the, the offensive line obviously let him down a little bit. I forget if the Ravens had six sacks in that game or what they had, but... I, I don't think they were ready for it. it. It wasn't even necessarily an indictment of the individual offensive lineman as much as it was Joe Burrow admitted after the game. He saw some things that, you know, the Ravens maybe didn't put on tape or they weren't prepared for. And I was really excited to see the matchup that we didn't get to see, to see how he kind of bounced back and answered. I was also excited to see that against Pittsburgh because the way the coaches talk about him, he didn't make the same mistakes twice. He was a very fast learner. And, 
we, we didn't get to see that second act for, for those two games. So that was a bit of a letdown, but very excited to see how he comes back uh, this year. And I think the fact that he's being, that, that he's able to work in these OTAs a little bit kind of offsets one of my bigger fears, which is that he was going to lose his off season. It's his first off season. Cause he came into the league during COVID. And if you don't get that off season to develop, it can really set, set players back when they have those rookie year injuries. So I'm very glad that he's able to participate. Did he have any private throwing he did with receivers on the side? I think he did. It's not terribly well known. What we do know is that after Jamar Chase was drafted, he threw to Jamar Chase and CJ Uzama one day before OTAs. We know that, you know, he was working with Jordan Palmer in California when he was out there to see his doctor and he was throwing out there. I'm not sure who he was throwing to, but I think they were at least collegiate wide receivers. Um, he talked about he's been throwing for about a month and he was complaining or, or kind of joking about, you know, it was nice to throw to real receivers instead of the equipment guys I've been throwing to for the last <laughs> month. Well, they have they have the when they have the five or six week off period right before camp, he'll have another chance. And that's really the acid test is are the players still getting at it then? I, I'm a big I'm a big believer in positional coaching during the offseason. The teams, of course, aren't allowed to do it. But, you know, that was the big step forward for Lamar Jackson between years one and two is going off and getting his own uh, position, you know, quarterback coach. I wish pass rushers would do it. I wish wide receivers would do it. Wide receivers understand the value of building the rapport with the quarterback, it seems. They don't understand the need to improve their own positional skills as much, it seems. So I don't hear enough about that. How do you think the the, uh, the Bengals wide receivers have been in that regard? You know, you don't really hear much. You're right about wide receivers working with positional coaches or, or going to refine their footwork or what have you. You see it a little bit when they come into the league. And, and you don't necessarily see it a ton after that. That doesn't necessarily mean I don't think that it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know, I guess if you're a receiver, you, you know, the, the stereotype is you're going you're gonna to be seen. You know, you, you, want, you want all of your achievements to be seen. So maybe we would see it on, in, in the age of social media. I, I don't know that the Bengals wide receivers have done anything remarkable in terms of off-season work with coaches. I know TJ Hushmanzada occasionally does some work with Bengals receivers, but he works with a lot of guys at this point. Um, yeah, I, I haven't heard of a ton in terms of specific wide receiver position work for, for any of their guys, especially the, the top three, the noteworthy Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. So, obviously, you just mentioned this great wide receiver course, so let's move on to them. Uh, in addition to those three, which that's, you know, probably the most talented wide receiver core within the division at this point, I think I'd say. But, but they have, for my money, a big addition by subtraction in terms of letting A.J. Green go. A.J. Green was not good last year. He was yeah. not A.J. Green. And I don't know if it was psychological, if it was a motivational thing, if it was just... <laughs> uh, uh, um, I've lost a step thing. I, I, I think it's probably a little bit of all of the above, right? And what, was it against the Ravens? No, I don't yeah. think it was. Was it against the Ravens? Two, it, two very embarrassing plays where he's obviously not trying to um, deflect an interception. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of, of a moment during the season when he's on the sideline and he's frustrated yeah. and he says, if you're not going to use me, trade me. And it's like pretty clear to read his lips. And that's what he says. He, he was not very happy for whatever reason. I, I think that 
it's a real tragedy kind of AJ Green the the years he lost really are a setback I think for his Hall of Fame resume which he was certainly on track for after the way he started his career and and just losing the better part of three seasons to an injury you know really really puts a dent in that it reminds me a little bit Cincinnati's got a great history of their best professional athletes getting hurt Ken Griffey Jr. comes to Cincinnati has a great year one gets hurt Kenya Martin the the year the Cincinnati Bearcats are the number one overall team in the country going into the championship breaks his leg in the conference tournament Carson Palmer obviously the the knee in 2005 when a lot of Bengals fans think they would have actually pushed for a championship that year they were they they, they had a shot Andy Dalton in 2015 I mean Andy Dalton, not a great player by any means, but by far his best year, a year when there was a legitimately MVP conversation around Andy Dalton, 2015, the offense clicking on all cylinders, breaks his thumb and, and doesn't play in the playoffs. A.J. McCarron almost beats the Steelers instead of Andy Dalton playing in that game. Not that that necessarily would have made a difference given his history in, in uh, <laughs> big moments, but we're, we're very used to, to this history of, of guys getting hurt uh, and not quite fulfilling their potential. And, and A.J. Green adds another one to the list for me. It's quite sad. Okay, so I want to get to the receivers in a second, but let's let's talk about the kind of a chip on their shoulder for every team in the division. Um, I think the Ravens have a chip on their, st- on their shoulder in terms of the recent playoff failures, although the Ravens have been one of the, historically one of the best teams in the league in terms of playoff success. Losing three out of four playoff games is is a cloud that currently is the final word in all complaints about the Ravens on Twitter. Okay, is, is well, then why'd you lose three out of four playoff games? For for the Browns fans, it, you know, until Mayfield, it was we never could get our quarterback right, we could never get a draft pick right, which is a more serious, obviously, concern. And, and for the Bengals, you mentioned the injury thing. Is that really the biggest thing, or is the Paul Brown? situation a bigger thing or something else i think a lot of fans will talk about injuries in the last couple of years but i don't think the bengals have been exceptionally injured they, they were very injured last year to be fair they they could not get an offensive line group out there from one week to the next it was one of their many problems in that part of the in that part of the field they they lost like six defensive tackles or something crazy like that, including DJ reader, who was the sign, like the biggest signing they had in the off season that they wanted to, to bring in to help with their run defense issues. Trey Wayne's tears his peck before the year starts. So it's not that they weren't injured. I remember weeks looking at the roster and saying they have like five starters from week one healthy right now. And, and that's maybe a small exaggeration, but not much, right? So they did have injury issues. I, I don't think that's it. I think it's, it's they haven't won under Mike Brown. They haven't won a playoff game since... Um, I don't want to say Paul Brown, by the way. You, I'm you sorry did. about that. If I did, yeah, Mike Brown is obviously what I mean. Yeah, uh, he, he's just not won a playoff game since he took over. And, and since, I mean, my memorable lifetime, I, I haven't seen him do it. They've had some good teams. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you go from Marvin Lewis, who at least could could field a professional team, to Zach Taylor, who's learning on the job. And, and you know, clearly a, a steep learning curve for him a little bit. Finally seems to have a, a locker room that's fully behind him, is fully bought in. We'll see if that makes a difference or not. We'll see if, 
you know, that plus Joe Burrow and the leadership and the, and the potential talent that he brings makes a difference. But we strayed quite a bit from the wide receiver conversation. So yes, I apologize I for the tangent. Say, let's, let's get back on track. And we do got to kind of hustle this up. Goal is about an hour for the total for the show. It's fine if we go over. But uh, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, what do you want to see from that group this year? The deep ball. That's what was missing last year. I mean, Joe Burrow in the, you know, one to 20 yard part of the field amongst the best, most efficient quarterbacks in football. And you expect that, according to Pro Football Focus anyway, who tracks productivity numbers in that part of the field, you know, they say this is a relatively stable number. So you would kind of expect his accuracy his strengths, his anticipation, his ability to quickly decipher what's happening in defenses that that aren't the Baltimore Ravens in 2020 uh, and and deliver an on-target ball will translate to to consistency in that part of the field. But what the Bengals were really missing last year, and and not entirely because of the wide receiver core, was the deep ball. So, So drafting Jamar Chase brings his insane productivity on deep balls, 20 plus yard targets at LSU, which was, you know, almost all of his touchdowns and he had a lot of touchdowns I think over a thousand yards I think 26 out of 34 or 36 or something you know 67 percent completion percentage or so give or take yeah it's amazing uh, on passes targeted 20 plus yards down the field against a lot of NFL cornerbacks mm-hmm. it's not like he you know a lot of the guys he played I think six of the cornerbacks that he played against are, are now on NFL teams and are probably expected to start this year. So um, that is the biggest hope for Jamar Chase. Tyler Boyd should continue to be a premier slot wide receiver. I I think that he's probably nationally underappreciated a little bit, but I think those that, that follow the division closely know how good he is, except Browns fans who believe in Jarvis Landry way too much <laughs> and uh, well, Ravens t- unfortunately had that experience with Boyd which is not pleasant but uh, uh, they certainly respect him yeah and, and I think that the Ravens have had some issues with Bengals receivers generally for whatever reason out of all the teams in the division not counting the Browns because they weren't really a team in the division until recently the the Bengals and Ravens games were were competitive and and generally pretty good games that went back and forth and the receivers for the Bengals had some success against the Ravens historically. Um, and the last one, T. Higgins, I actually think can be better than perhaps many people thought coming out of mm-hmm. Clemson. He was dealing with the hamstring all of last year. If he if he doesn't pull his hamstring in the last game of the season, he probably goes over a thousand yards in that game. He probably sets a Bengals rookie receiving record. And that's with 10 games of Joe Burrow. And he hardly played in week one. So really it's with like eight games because Burrow goes out at, you know, eight and a half games maybe with Burrow at quarterback. So there's, I think, a significant upside for Higgins. I'm, I'm interested to see how they, how they deploy Chase and Higgins because both of those guys have the body to be on the line of scrimmage and play the X receiver position. So which of them actually gets that job? It's going to be a, a ch- an interesting choice because the Bengals did, for the most part last year, have one guy and a backup in those roles. They weren't necessarily interchangeable with who they put on the line of scrimmage. So if they continue to do that this year, I, I wonder who they'll put there. Jamar Chase has a proclivity to invite contact a little bit against the press. So maybe they actually keep him off the line of scrimmage a little bit if they don't like the way he's handling the press, which is something that... You know, he's so strong, I don't think should be an issue for him. But 
I, I think that T. Higgins also has the size to do that job. So the Bengals are a team that it strikes me, like Pittsburgh, like Kansas City, can play 10 personnel. And when I talk about Kansas City playing 10 personnel, I'm really treating Kelsey as a wide receiver in that situation. But most NFL teams now aren't very well equipped to line up with four corners uh, in a dime defense to play 10 personnel. Do you see that as something that, that we might see from the Bengals this year? I am a little skeptical. I think they'll still be a predominantly 11 personnel team. You look at depth behind those top three guys. It's Auden Tate, who's fine, a fine, mm-hmm. very fine backup. He's a very good number four receiver, has a specific set of skills, and he knows how to use them, right? He's going to win contested catch situations. He's not going to get a ton of separation. He's going to make circus catches. He has great body control. And, and there's a place for that in the NFL. That's why he's still on the team as a seventh-round pick. That's why he gets snaps and targets as a former seventh-round pick. But, but behind him, stop me when you recognize, you know, <laughs> one of these names for their achievements. I'm sure you will know some of them. But Trenton Irwin, a college, a street-free agent, sorry. Stanley Morgan Jr., who some people thought would get drafted, college-free agent. Great special teamer, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. actually exceptional special teamer especially in punk gunning. Mike Thomas, not the, the, the Mike Thomas that everybody knows, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Scotty Washington, Trent Taylor, and Riley Lees. It's, uh, it's, it's, they're not going to have a tough cut to make at the end of that wide receiver group. Well, I think they might, but it's not because, it's not because there's a bunch of, you know, it's not because they have a glut of good players. It's because they have a <laughs> bunch of guys who are kind of just guys, and, you know, they, they'll need to pick one. I think Mike Thomas is going to make the team. Zach Taylor has a liking for him. He brought him in from L.A. last year. They re-signed him this year. They like him on special teams. Stanley Morgan Jr. holds a place in my heart because he is that good as a special teamer. And they did lose a lot of special team snaps uh, in the last couple of years. So it wouldn't surprise me if he sticks around too. So that's six. And if they want to keep seven, Trenton Irwin, Riley Lees, Trent Taylor, Scotty Washington, I mean... I don't know. Trent Taylor was good his rookie year in San Francisco. So, sure, maybe. I don't know. You're not. So uh, I don't know. All right, let's, let's move on here. The, the, we, we, we need to keep going. The, the tight end yeah. position. It's interesting because I've looked at an article recently that lists Drew Sample as the number one tight end. Do you see it that way? I think I got to cough one sec. Sure. I, I think that he was last year, which maybe is misleading people a little bit. CJ Uzama, Uzama sorry, has been fully cleared. He's a full participant in these OTAs. He should be the primary receiving tight end for this team. Drew Sample will get his share of snaps, and they will play some 12 personnel with both of those guys on the field, but it won't be a preponderance of their snaps by any means. It'll be some of the snaps. I think out of these guys... Uzama is the the primary receiving tight end. He caught Joe Burrow's first touchdown. There's a fun trivia answer in case that comes up in anybody's sports trivia nights. But behind those guys, similar to wide receiver, a bunch of, you know, seventh round pick, waiver claim, college free agents. Thaddeus Moss, though, uh, rejoins Joe Burrow. And I think he has a very uphill battle to make the team. All right. All right. So uh, you, you mentioned personnel groups there. 11, um, sorry, 12, 21, 
and 22 personnel, approximately what percentage of total snaps would you expect that to be for the Bengals? Maybe around still overwhelming majority eleven. I think of 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 Cincinnati being. I, I would look at them as one of the teams would could, could play ten with who they have. Yeah, I think last year they were more than seventy five percent in eleven, and I don't see that changing. So you know, twenty to thirty percent other would would be my guess, unless they find themselves on the goal line uh, a crazy amount of the time. They just. They just like to run stuff out of 11. I, I do think one schematic change we'll see from this team this year with Frank Pollock coming back to Cincinnati. They led the league in inside zone rushing attempts last year. I, I expect that there will be an emphasis on going more to outside zone with Frank Pollock returning. He formerly coached the Bengals offensive line under Marvin Lewis. Zach Taylor came to town, brought Jim Turner and his stupid two-hand punch teaching ways with him. Turner, I, I think, rubbed nobody the right way, known best for Bullygate <laughs> and, and not the best for any of his offensive lines in the NFL. He's now gone, replaced by Frank Pollock, who returns to Cincinnati. And from what I've heard from the coaches that I've talked to with the team, they are very confident that technique will be markedly better along the Bengals' offensive line this year with Frank Pollock being the guy responsible for that unit instead of Jim Turner. Oh, so, sorry. So the, the schematic change I started to talk about there before I lost my train of thought and got distracted by coaching stuff is you'll see them under center a little bit more because of that emphasis on the outside zone. The Bengals coaches believe, and it's probably pretty true, that it's, it's challenging to run outside zone from the gun. And... As far as I know, and I wouldn't know, why would they tell me, there aren't tremendous plans to emphasize pistol formations and, and try to get the best of both worlds a little bit. So I think you'll see more under center stuff from the Bengals, more turn your back play action from the Bengals this year. Now, does that necessitate a difference in personnel? No, obviously. You can use 11 personnel out of the gun or under center, but that might lead to some changes. They might play a little bit more 12 because they're under center more. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. That'll, that'll uh, uh, certainly be interesting. Let me see if I can remember my question from before. Well, let's talk about the offensive line. Uh, and and I, I'd like to just let you have free reign to go from left to right. I uh, want to talk about some of their strengths and weaknesses. And remember that, that this is a Ravens show. We're talking to a Ravens audience. And I'm going to want to ask some questions about how people deal with stunts and, and how they react to things they don't necessarily know are going to happen. They, they did a very poor job of that under Jim Turner, generally speaking. That was a chronic problem for this team for the last two years. Uh, and, and that thus makes it actually kind of difficult to evaluate the individual players, especially those that have been on the team, because they had so many issues with protection rules and, and just letting free rushers come up the A-gap and, and getting Joe Burrow crushed. And, and some of that's on Burrow, right? Some of that's on Burrow setting the protection the right way. Some of that's on the offensive line recognizing things. But... Talking about the individual players, left tackle will be Jonah Williams, and I'm quite confident in his ability to be an above-average left tackle in the NFL. I, I don't think that he's going to be, you know, Andrew Whitworth level, Joe Thomas level, but, you know, he's going to follow a similar mold where he's relying on his technique. He's not relying on, you know, extreme athletic gifts. He's, he's probably an average athlete for the position and doesn't have great length, has adequate length, but... 
an excellent technician, a very smart player. And I, I have really very few concerns about Jonah Williams, a left tackle. He will get beat from time to time. Everyone does. And he's not probably in that top five yet. And maybe he can get there, maybe not. I think the tools will limit him a little bit. But considering the rest of the offensive line, Jonah Williams is the least of my concerns. I think that he should be just fine at left tackle. Left guard is the primary competition spot for this team. Mike Jordan started as a 21-year-old rookie two years ago after the Bengals traded up for him in the fourth round. I didn't really love the draft pick at the time, to be honest. And I also thought that he needed time to develop. But when the coaching staff that got to Cincinnati in 2020 or in 2019 got to Cincinnati, they, they dealt with Clint Bowling's unexpected retirement, Cordy Glenn effectively quitting on the team. So mm-hmm. they inherited a significant mess on the offensive line to the point where they felt like they had to retain Bobby Hart. Even if they, they knew that they wanted to get better there, they needed someone to play right tackle. Mm-hmm. And they had so many holes, they didn't feel like they could fill them all at once, which led to Troy Blackburn, one of the executives with the team, making an infamous quote about how hard it is to find right tackles at Walmart, which I relentlessly <laughs> made fun of for, uh, man, that was a bad quote. He took a lot of heat for that, rightfully so. No, but I haven't heard that, but it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Google Google Troy Blackburn Walmart tackle. tackle. Right tackles at Walmart. I'll look for that. <laughs> and, and then read it in the most like ridiculous, pompous voice you can imagine. And that's how I read it on my podcast after that quote came out. Okay, maybe there's even a video of him saying it or, or, or something, but, or maybe there's not. Maybe he said it to a newspaper reporter. The guy I want to talk about is Jackson Carmen, a guy that I liked looking at in the draft. Clearly in a, in a draft, this is probably true of most drafts, but it seemed more true this year than it ever has been. A bunch of T-Rex uh, offensive tackles who are all going to move to guard. Eichenberg and, and, and Carmen, Hudson, uh, Ely, a whole bunch of guys who, who, whose arms aren't nearly long enough to, to, to play the position, including some good ones. I mean, Slater, I have real questions about whether he's going to last at left tackle, even though he's you know, 11 overall or whatever, the Chargers, 13. Uh, I have real questions of, of, of whether or not he'll stay there. But, but Carmen was a guy I liked, and he was a guy who was on my tackle list. I said, no, he's, he's, he's more valuable as a guard, but I don't know why he wouldn't immediately get a starting position probably at left guard he'll be at right guard they're gonna they're gonna plug and play him at right guard and and i think they're going to let xavier suafilo who they acquired last year from the texans and quentin spain who they acquired mid-season battle it out at left guard with mike jordan in the mix hakeem adenogy actually who they drafted as a tackle out of kansas last year said to be in the mix at guard as well. So there will be a very healthy competition, I believe, at left guard. But but at right guard, I believe they'll just hand the job to Jackson Carmen. Okay, so this is this brings up an interesting point. The Bengals' running game, is it primarily right-handed or left-handed, meaning they're pulling guard as you go left to right or right to left more often? I don't think I could tell you. That's a really good question. Okay. I apologize. So it also is often where the tight end lines up, typically on the right side, typically on the left side. Honestly, that uh, the, the running game last year is not something with Joe Burrow okay. being the Bengals' new quarterback that I paid a ton of attention to. But 
the next time you ask me that question, I'll be ready. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go do some research for you. The, the, the reason I say that is I think length is actually pretty important at right guard in particular. Marcianda got away with not having particularly long arms, but he's a special cat. Um, I think it's more important at right tackle to have that good length to make the pivot and open the front gate. And, you know, if you're if you're passing the ball 72 percent of the time, maybe it doesn't matter. But but, you know, the Bengals have an asset at running back. They, they would probably like to run the football at least some of the time. And if you're going to run some power football, uh, then it makes sense to, to have a guy at right guard who can turn that defensive tackle and length really helps with that. And that's why I was wondering whether Carmen would be there or not. And, and a lot of that comes down to are there other alternatives, longer guys or not? Because at 33, which I think Carmen is, he's, he'd be right in the middle of guards in terms of length. Yeah, there's a there's a bit of controversy on some some lack of clarity around Jackson Carmen's arm length. He he got measured at the Senior Bowl sub 33. Wow. And then he worked with Paul Alexander. Paul Alexander we talked to. He he told us he measured Carmen twice and both times got 33 and a quarter, I believe. So, uh so, some despair. I think he got measured at at the second Clemson Pro Day as well above 33 inches or maybe at 33 inches. So, quite a few measurements out there for Jackson Carmen's arms. Right. Uh, but they do really like his movement skills. I do think that they will pull him quite a bit. But when when you go back and you watch him at Clemson, and I didn't watch him this week. I watched him as a tackle because he played tackle at Clemson. Mm-hmm. And and I guess I lacked the imagination. But you go back and you watch him now. As soon as the Bengals said we're gonna, he's gonna compete for right guard, which he's gonna start at right guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you watch some of his reps at left tackle. He kind of plays left tackle like a right guard. And, <laughs> uh, by that I All mean, right. you know, he he wants to get on guys quick, and I think he'll be really comfortable in a phone booth. And on top of that, he does have some some actually apparently quite special when when you watch it. Quite special movement skills. He can really move. If he cleans up his feet a little bit, eliminates some false steps, if he if he improves the consistency of his hand placement, I think he can be a, a very fine player and should be able to hit the ground running, even though a lot of Bengals fans were upset that the Bengals traded back and skipped out on Tevin Jenkins and instead took Jackson Carmen. Right. I, 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 we had that problem come up a lot in Baltimore, too, at 27 and 31. Uh, there was a lot of screaming on, you know, on my draft show and including from me of, of saying that Tevin Jenkins would have been a would have been a great pick at that point. He had questionable arm length concerns, too. I don't know if you followed any of that, but uh, I did. Yeah, he, he had arm length issues. He had some injury issues that were not public. He also had some some other issues that I, I can't really speak about publicly. But there was a reason that he fell that is just mm-hmm. not publicly known. Right. All right. So uh, uh, Carmen was eventually drafted at what at what spot? What number for the for the Bengals? Oh, man, you're really challenging me. Hold on. Second round, was it? It it was second round. They traded back with the Patriots. They they were pick. It was in the 40s. It was because they traded back and I don't remember it anymore. I should know this. Well, I I thought he was a great value. But 46. 46. So the Ravens ended up getting Ben Cleveland at 93 or whatever it was. 93, I think. Um, I, I had him as my number three guard on my list. And I, a bunch of guys, including a bunch of the tackles, I, I had lower. But Carmen was the one guy I had at number two after AVT uh, being my number one guard. Wow. So, so uh, Carmen, I think a great find for the for the Bengals. I, uh, I, I just, if, if you mentioned the athleticism of Carmen, 
I wondered if you've looked into the athleticism of Cleveland because it's off the charts. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if, if that guy cannot figure, if they can't teach him how to pull with the kind of fundamentals they teach in, in Baltimore for offensive line play, it would be a real tragedy. I mean, the guy's got, it, got everything in terms of fast times and everything, good shuttle, good three cone. So anyway, two good guards. They're going to be around the league for years to come. It wouldn't be surprised me if we see some Pro Bowls out of both of them. And I do know the Bengals liked Ben Cleveland and, and were connected to him. That was a guy that I wouldn't have been surprised if they had actually pulled the trigger on in the second round. And, right. and instead, I, I mean, fantastic pick where the Ravens get him much later. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, uh, center. So Trey Hopkins is, is at this point still the likely incumbent, at least. Yeah, if he's healthy, he's going to play. And you're just fine with that. If you're the Bengals, he's he's smart. He, he struggles a little bit with some of the behemoths in the AFC North just because some of the nose tackles are so damn good mm-hmm. between Baltimore and Pittsburgh. But generally does his job, doesn't make mistakes too often, and there's no real alternative on the team. They did draft Trey Hill in the sixth round. I don't think he's going to be ready. He was not expected to come out. If he's pushed into action, something has probably gone wrong. Billy Price will have a chance. Um, it, you know, If Hopkins isn't healthy, he'll be in the mix for guard as well. But the the over aggression for Billy Price and getting out over his toes and lunging a little too much mm-hmm. just hasn't been fixed yet and it's fair to wonder if it will be. Two two things I wanted to talk about. The first is it's like I'm talking to myself in some ways, the way you, the terminology you use for the AFC nose tackles, behemoth. I, I say it all the time in terms of, of those guys are very hard. And the Ravens have had a lot of trouble at center getting anchored properly. They're going to move Bradley Bozeman this year, so that, that'll be interesting. But the NFL also had a rule change today I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about. So they changed the cut blocking. You, you, yeah. you heard it, obviously. Um, and, and for teams that screen a lot, yep. I would think this is a bigger deal. The Ravens yep. don't do a ton of that. Tell me about your your th- thoughts about how that might impact the Bengals. I don't know how it's, it's going to impact the Bengals. Uh, I, I know that they, you know they, they tried to run a lot of screens last year. They tried everything last year because they lost their quarterback and there were some games where they couldn't figure anything out on offense, so they just started throwing screens to try to figure out something that would take some pressure off of Burrow. But I, I do think that's a fascinating rule change. That mm-hmm. there are two things that stand out about it for me. One is imagine you know you get beat around the edge. And, and you're 10 yards deep in the pocket. And this rule applies to both sides of the line of scrimmage when you're plus five yards away. I and have a bet it will not be applied in that situation. I, I, would, I would bet you money. I would hope not, but the way the rule is, is worded, mm-hmm. uh, it, it suggests that it would be. I don't think that you get a bunch of guys injured from that kind of play. If mm-hmm. it's if it's like a, a formerly legal low block, like if you dive into the side of a guy's knees, yeah, you're, you're an idiot and you should be penalized because that's dangerous. But the kind of last ditch dive that you see when a guy's turning the corner on you, so, so that'll be interesting to see how that's enforced. But to your point, a lot of screens, you see an offensive lineman busting his ass to get downfield mm-hmm. and he just tries to jump in front of a guy because everyone's faster than him because he's an offensive yep. lineman. And even though he's faster than everyone in the stands... The guys on the football field are faster than him. So uh, that, that will be very interesting. I, I don't know what you call that. I call that a, a lineman getting lungy in level two. And it's a really big deal for me in scoring offensive line play hmm. to see guys who keep their feet in level two, whether they're offensive linemen or receivers. I like positional blockers who don't try and go down, don't try and go low anyway. Gotcha. Um, and even if they give ground in so doing, that's usually fine. All that, all that the guy needs in open space 
is a way to be a block to be able to follow. He yeah. doesn't have to have you take the guy to the ground. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, you you make a really good a uh, good point there that I've thought about with the Bengals lately. They they had issues with pick plays last year where mm-hmm. they just made too much contact instead of just get getting you know in the way long enough and then getting out of the way. You don't have to touch the guy, and mm-hmm. and you know some of that applies here where you know maybe there's a, an avenue for these offensive linemen or receivers or tight ends downfield to just stay on your feet and try to get in the way. It reminds me a little bit as well of the, the block going back to the line of scrimmage rule where people are adapting yes. now and they're, you know, you're putting your hands up and just kind of trying to get, get in, the, in the, way. the way a little bit instead of trying to knock somebody's head off or, or you know, try to kick somebody's helmet or, or, I don't know, you know, the Steelers do all sorts of dirty shit to break people's jaws and stuff that is now illegal. <laughs> so they, they have that, I, you know, the other one that's going to come up because most of the, this rule change is, is clearly an anti-offense rule change, but one of the ones I don't see enforced at all in the NFL, and they probably have to do a better job of that this year is cut blocking against pulling players. So, so it's supposed to be illegal under some circumstances and you just never see it called. So the, the typical thing is a defensive end, particularly one that's savvy and really knows how to play the right. Charles Suggs comes to mind, you know, will go low to actually pile up two mm. players, mm-hmm. the player on that side, plus the, the pulling player. Yeah, that's an interesting. At Lowe's, we're your go to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Sing one. Another one, by the way, just while we're on the topic of rules, not that that's the topic of this show, but that, that you never see called on offenses or very rarely see called the, the leading with the crown of the helmet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just it's just one of those rules that I, I just doesn't seem to be interpreted the way it's written. Can we talk about one other offensive lineman before Absolutely. we go to no, the defense? Please, please. Well, two, actually, we should talk about Riley Reef. The Bengals bring him in to start at right tackle from Minnesota. He should be just fine. I, I think he's better than Bobby Hart, but I think. I, I wonder, I'm sure I will tell, I'll tell my, I'll tell my listeners to listen to this as well. So they're going to cringe when I say this, but the, the upgrade of Riley Reef compared to Bobby Hart, maybe just a touch overstated by Bengals fans. I think that there's, there's clearly a better player there in Riley Reef and certainly a better track record. And I guess I'll just leave it at that. But the guy that I, that I was excited about and excited to talk about is Deontay Smith from East Carolina. Fantastic at the senior bowl, worked at both tackle and guard 35 plus inch arms. One of the few in this class that has that crazy length. And I was talking to a Bengals coach recently and I threw out a a Daryl Williams comparison and the, and the coach came back to me and said, he's more athletic than Daryl Williams. And you know, if that's the upside, He's going to need some time, which is a little paradoxical because he comes into the league a little bit older. Mm-hmm. But coming from ECU and missing a year because of COVID co- close contacts, he's going to need a little bit of time. He's, he's up to weight, though. He came into rookie camp at 311, which is great news for That's him because uh, he was lighter than that. And, you know, if, if they can harness that length at all, uh, it's just it's such a it's such a treat to watch long tackles play tackle i i was hoping the bengals would sign daryl williams away from buffalo last year and i in in doing my free agency prep watched daryl williams against tj watt and daryl williams just messed with tj watt 
the entire game. Like the 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 hand fakes that Daryl Williams gave to TJ Watt. TJ Watt, I never seen him lose that bad, that long, that consistent consistently. And I was, I came away very impressed with Daryl Williams. So I'm very excited for the Bengals to have a tackle with that length. Yeah, it's, he was one of the few gems in this guy. Spencer Brown was the yeah. ultimate in high-ras length yep. players in this draft. And there were a couple other guys, too, who were way up there who were, who were lower in terms of uh, Doyle and others who were at 35-inch arms. Yeah. But he was, you know... He was one of the guys I really love. Smith was. And I, the big failure of the Ravens in this draft was in finding that developmental tackle. They have a year to wait now. They can sit on the, on the sidelines and wait for a tackle to develop. Uh, but, but they can't. Coming away with nothing was just a, it was a bad year to do it with so many developmental guys out there. It was a hard year, though. And, and so I, I do feel for the Ravens a little bit there where the, the, the player pool is just smaller. Mm-hmm. There, there was like a third of the players in the draft that there is in a normal year. And well, if, you, so, if you want to, but is it the right thing? If you're particularly if the Ravens and you know you trust your scouts and you really believe it, is it the right thing to automatically rule out every player who did not play a snap in 2020? Well, did they? Had, yeah, they didn't, didn't draft anybody who didn't didn't play in 2020. Oh, that's interesting because the yeah. Bengals obviously did the opposite with yes. both Jamar Chase and Deontay Smith, and they had some guys that were injured, and they had some guys that had this or that or the other thing. You know, Jamar or uh, Jackson Carmen had the back surgery after the season that he played through during the season. So quite a few question marks for the Bengals in, in converse to, to the Ravens approach. I mean, I'm looking at the Ravens draft here. I don't know who Brandon Stevens is. I'm going to be honest. Their third round pick. I don't know who he is. And Tylen Wallace is a very interesting idea. And it'll be, I'm going to follow his career with interest to see if he actually puts it together in the NFL. Okay, well, that's fair enough. And, and I would have the same question. Very limited route tree. He, he runs the right sideline only, pretty much. Or, uh, you know, that's what he did yeah. in college. Okay. I, but but you, he's definitely not a, not a crosser. But uh, now I forgot the point. They, they got two players. Stevens is a guy who played at SMU, played three different positions within the same game. And not one game, like every game. They were moving him around in, in, a, in, a, in a defense between slot okay. corner, outside corner, and free safety. And I think they want him to be a free safety. Way overdrafted in the third round, in my opinion. But they must have gotten an inkling that somebody else wanted him. And, you know, if he turns out to be Jesse Bates, fantastic. But if he if he uh, ends up being an overdraft, I think that's the, probably the more likely outcome. Oh, man. Talk about lofty expectations. Jesse Bates, come on. Don't do him that way. Don't put <laughs> oh, that right. on. Ed Reed. I'll, I'll limit it to Ed oh, Reed. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, let's move on to the defensive side. We're doing great here. And we know we're having a great conversation when we're running 45 minutes just on the offense here. But we'll pick I up apologize. some time. I apologize. No, that's fine. Uh, it really is no problem if we go over. Uh, on the, let's start with the defensive line. And Sam Hubbard is a guy who's given the Ravens some trouble over the years. Still has a position there at defensive end. Absolutely. They, they went crazy drafting this. I mean, they've added so much. It's totally overhauled. Geno Atkins gone. Carlos Dunlap gone. Carl Lawson gone. The defensive line that you imagine when you think about the Cincinnati Bengals is no longer present. The only guy that's going to be particularly familiar to, to Ravens fans, at least from, from the Bengals, mm-hmm. is, is Sam Hubbard. Larry Ogunjobi comes down from Cleveland. He'll replace some of Geno Atkins' snaps at 3-Tech. He was He's playing hurt last year. Raven killer, by the way. Ogunjobi is Perfect. his time with the Browns. Perfect. That, that's what I think the Bengals were thinking about when they put this defensive line together. 
and we could spend a lot of time here. So let's talk about seven guys, and and we'll okay. try to keep it to seven guys. Sam Hubbard, um, really, well, eight guys. I, I got to talk about Josh Tupau whenever I talk about the Bengals defensive line, and Ravens fans will probably listen to this like, who the hell is Josh Tupau? And I'll tell you later. But Sam Hubbard is where we'll start, and this is a guy that the Bengals love is is somewhat divisive amongst Bengals fans. And I was part of the reason of some of that division. I think he's a guy that through his first two years in the NFL led his class in sacks. But if you watch Sam Hubbard play, he's not a great elite pass rusher. He's a fine pass rusher. He's very good against the run. He can move around a little bit. He'll kick inside. He'll, he'll stand up from time to time. He's athletic enough to do okay sometimes when they drop him into coverage although i wish they'd stop doing that so much i I think that they will extend him i think he's going to be a a good rotational piece but he won't be the the premier pass rusher on this team and the guy that they signed to replace carl lawson and trey hendrickson i'm not sure he will either but they're expecting him to be they loved his sack productivity in new orleans you go and watch some of those sacks and a lot of them are you know, the cleanup variety or to use Brandon Thorne's terminology, the, the low quality variety where mm-hmm. it's, Mot- you know, motor sex. What's that? Motor sex. Mo- motor sex. Yeah. Or, or, um, you know, you're going against a backup kind of sex or, or whatever it is. So I think there's a place for that. I think motor and, and relentlessness is, is a trait. For a defensive lineman, I think he has good athleticism, but the Bengals are talking him up as a run defender too, and the Saints made a very conscientious conscientious effort to hide him in the running game. So I'm going to be interested to see how the Bengals treat him, if they treat him as an every-down guy or not. They're paying him like an every-down guy, and I'm a little bit afraid of that. So we'll see how he plays against the run. I think he has a great work ethic, but... You know, that that obviously doesn't go the distance in the NFL when everyone is as talented as they are. Uh, then they drafted three defense events. And I'm not going to talk too much about Wyatt Hubert, their seventh round pick. They had him, I think, graded in the fifth round. They, they met with him pre-draft. I nailed two picks in my Bengals mock draft this year, their first round pick and their seventh round pick. Mm-hmm. So uh, not very good, I guess. But they, they, really, they really had me guessing this year. Let's talk about Joseph Osai first, the first defensive lineman they picked in the draft, third round, out of Texas, former linebacker, converted to edge rusher, great burst, great straight line speed, jumped almost as high as Jamar Chase, like an inch off of Jamar Chase's vert, which was excellent, like a couple inches off his broad, which was also excellent. So crazy burst and a really good 10-yard split for Osai. Didn't do agility drills or was average at them. I can't recall right now. So you wonder if he can turn the corner very well. He's still learning pass rushing a little bit, but third round seems like a, a great value for him. It did uh, seem like that. It, it seemed like he was falling. I think if he wasn't there and they were not expecting him to be there, he was a the guy they picked because he fell. They would have picked Milton Williams there because Milton Williams has the athletic profile as a three tech to to do 
what some of those like that athletic profile just hasn't failed in the NFL in recent history. Oh, I, I, I got to tell you, watching Milton Williams play, you'd never guess that he's an athlete at all. I mean, I just I, I watched the game against Georgia Southern last year. Watch the, the the center number 66 for Georgia Southern push him around flip flops all over the ground. I mean, just it's not there on tape for me. That, that was my big problem with Williams. And I don't necessarily disagree with you. When I watched him, I was surprised that he was getting the kind of hype he was getting. I think it was largely driven from his testing numbers, mm-hmm. but he did flash. I mean, maybe it wasn't that game. He, he had some very ugly reps from what I watched, and it was hard to find a ton on him. But he, he did flash, and the idea would be betting on that, betting on those testing numbers. Because sure. you, you look at the history of those testing numbers, and they, they just work out. But he doesn't end up becoming a Bengal. They go with the, the falling edge rusher, and they needed juice. They needed juice at edge rusher, and they get a bit of that. Well, a lot of that, I would say with Osai. So we'll see if he can develop the pass rush repertoire. Then they come back and they double dip. They go Cam Sample, another senior bowl standout. Mm -hmm. I think he'll be able to kick inside. I think he's got some position versatility. And given that I think the Bengals are missing that three tech right now, hard to fill the shoes of Geno Atkins, right? They're probably going to use a combination of Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrick, not Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, Larry Ogunjobi, Cam Sample in that role. And, and so I think you'll see Cam Sample in both positions. I think he might actually get more snaps than Joseph Osai. We'll see. Moving Sample inside, watching him play at Tulane a little bit, along with who's the edge rusher on the other side? They were number five and number seven. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Well, not not Jordan. That's UAB. I don't remember his name. Yeah. I, it'll, it'll come to me in a minute anyway. But, but Sample looked like he was fairly, I wouldn't say adept, but uh, willing to drop to zone coverage fairly normal, had some ability at it that you don't often see at, at that level. You know, I, I, kicking that guy inside seems like you're taking away something. Now, I know they, they don't, the, the Bengals don't play a 3-4, so there's not that opportunity to play him at uh, Sam Linebacker, for instance, or, or even at Rush Linebacker, where he might have some coverage responsibilities on some plays. Uh, it's just, it's, it, to, to me, it would be reducing his value to kick him inside on anything but a pass rush down. That's what it would be. It, w- it wouldn't be on any base down whatsoever. And and uh, the Bengals will play 3-4 four this year they're, they're gonna go with a lot of three four looks I think Luana Rumo's kind of been trying to trend in that direction for a while and they have two guys that can two gap now DJ Reader and Tyler Shelvin can both two gap and they looked around the AFC North and they saw the interior defensive line in Pittsburgh and the interior defensive line in Baltimore before I, I keep forgetting his name who's a Baltimore defensive tackle who went to Minnesota uh, that's Pierce Pierce before Pierce went to Minnesota you got Pierce and Brandon Williams in Baltimore, you got to it. In Hayward and Pittsburgh, you just can't run up the middle on those guys. Mm-hmm. And the Bengals looked at that and they said, we want to do that. Let's go get DJ Reader. And let's go get a guy who could be DJ Reader in Tyler Shelvin if he reaches his upside. A guy that before the season was seen as a second round potential pick. And then he had his, uh, he didn't play, right? I, I, I don't remember what the problem is. I remember not liking him. Uh, because I don't really think his body type will necessarily translate. He's just, he reminds me too much of Mount Cody in mm. terms of being very, very large uh, and, uh, and not, not, the, not ex- a little overvalued where, where uh, uh, a lot of the pundits had him. So pundits had him a lot in the second and third round. And Early. I thought he was more of a fourth round guy. I think he ended up as, as kind of fifth round on the consensus boards closer mm-hmm. to the draft. And so to me, at this, uh, when, when the Bengals picked Shelvin, I believe... Tommy Togi, I was still available from Ohio State. That was a guy that I thought, he's just going to be a solid pro. He might not be great, 
but he's just going to be, uh, you know, real blue collar. He's going to be good. He's not going to be elite, but I, I just think Tommy Togia is going to be good. Unfortunately, he goes to the Browns. Um, so we get to watch him either way. But Shelvin is a guy that I think does move pretty well. I think it sounds like he came to, sh came to camp in good shape and is a guy that, you know, you go watch him against Alabama. He had some great, great battles with uh, Landon Dickerson in the LSU Alabama game a couple of years ago. And I think Landon Dickerson got the better of him. I think Landon Dickerson's a great player, a, a great prospect if he can stay healthy. But they had some really good battles, and, and I think that that does appeal to the Bengals. If they can keep him motivated, they, say th they see this potential of having two guys that can two-gap. And I think that's something that Lou Anarumo, a little bit old school in, in terms of let's try to two-gap a little bit in the modern NFL. But these two guys do give them that versatility. Last guy I promised I'd come back to, and I guess I'm not going to talk much about Mike Daniels, who will kind of back up Larry Ogunjobi at three tech on base downs. But Josh Chupau, I said I'd come back to him because you're like, why the hell are you talking about a fringe, a fringe roster defensive tackle? One of my favorite players. And you know why he's one of my favorite players? It's because he made a tackle on Lamar Jackson in the open field as a defensive yes, I tackle. I remember that. And it was one of my favorite plays I've ever seen. It was my chin tweet for a long time. Ahead or something. Oh, after the, after it was, the like at the line of scrimmage, you know, yeah. Jackson, 99% of the time, probably jukes that guy and gains five, 10 yards, scores a touchdown. I think it was in the red zone. And instead it's like a one yard carry. And for that, Josh Dupel will forever hold a place in my heart. It, it, it was a special, it was a special moment, no doubt about it. And it's one of those plays when I looked at that, I said, he just guessed. He just guessed. And, and you know what? That's the right call there. Just oh, yeah. guess. Because otherwise, Jackson will make you wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. You can't react. If you're, <laughs> if you're a 300-pound man trying to react to Lamar Jackson's movement, you're going to lose. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's very cool. Um, it, one of the things that, that the Ravens have unfortunately been, you know, found out the last few years is when you play a 34 defense, you really can't keep more than five or six at the most defensive linemen on the roster, meaning pure interior DL guys, right. not your defensive ends. And so I wonder your, your list of, of, of players seem very long there. And, and no doubt the Bengals will play rotationally the way the Ravens have, but I'm wondering, do they have room for all those guys? And if not, um, you know, the Ravens are lacking in terms of a prospect defensive lineman. Big failure of them in this draft. They will go heavy on the defensive line this year, I think. But a lot of these guys are guys that they'll feel comfortable standing up. I think they'll feel very comfortable standing up Joseph Osai, standing up Sam Hubbard. I don't know about Trey Hendrickson. Maybe. I can't recall if he did much of that in New Orleans. Um, the, the true interior guys are going to be DJ Reader, Larry Ogunjobi, Tyler Shelvin, Mike Daniels, and one other guy. And, okay. and the other guys are going to keep are going to they're, they're going to probably go for the four, four guys with hands on the ground on a lot of clear passing situations and in some base situations they are going to do some five man fronts that are going to, you know, they're going to stand guys up. It'll look like a three, four is just five defensive linemen for them. So um, in terms of the edge rushers, I think they'll keep Hubbard, Sample, Hendrickson, Osai. And then maybe a competition behind them between Khaled Kareem, who was like solid for a fifth round rookie last year. Serviceable, I guess. Nothing terribly special. But for a fifth rounder, I mean, you know, you take what you can get there. And then Wyatt Hubert, who they had a fifth round grade on, is going to compete for a job as well as a rookie. So there will be a competition, but they will go 10, 11 deep in terms of guys that are going to be lining up on the line of scrimmage. 
All right. All right. Well, very cool. Now, we missed something because okay. on the offense, we didn't talk about Joe Mixon. And I really oh, yeah. have one question because we know he's a great player. The question is, are you, how concerned are you about his workload at this point in his career? Obviously, they, they bought into his future now. Should they be managing that? I don't think they have that luxury this year. I mean, if he gets hurt, he gets hurt. I think that they need to to ride him and, and hope he stays healthy. I think that they have kind of preserved the wear on his tires a little bit throughout his career compared to some other guys that came into the league at the same time he did and, you know, are said to be workhorse backs. He's probably got less touches. Uh, that's just a guess. But behind him with Giovanni Bernard now departed is Samaji Pirine, who was actually great last year for a journeyman, especially like generally just did his job in an efficient manner and was pretty good in pass protection. And then a real battle behind those guys. Chris Evans, their sixth round pick out of Michigan, had the academic suspension, comes into the, into the league a little bit older, but crazy athletic testing numbers, mm-hmm. uh, like nearly, nearly a 10, as I recall in terms of relative athletic score. Am I gathering that you're a big RAS guy? Uh, we, we do use that quite a bit when we put our board together. We use relative athletic score and we use some, uh, some production data, both from, from Jim Coburn, Jim Metrics. If you, okay. if you follow his work at all, we use some of his productivity data and we use um, some of, for, for uh, the receiving positions, we use some of the you know, dominator rating breakout age in conjunction with some of Jim's data there. So, yeah, we, we use those. We we being me and Joe Goodberry, we put together a board every year for the Bengals, or we have for the last three years. And so we take a tape grade and we kind of combine that with some objective factors, which are their athletic testing and their productivity. And we try to try to bake that into their score and come up with like a risk assessment grade that kind of factors in some of those object, objective factors with the tape to try to stack a board. And it leads to things like Jalen Waddle getting like a third round grade, mm-hmm. which people don't seem to understand what we're doing. But um, that's what we do. We end up putting the film grade beside the, the, you know, risk assessment grade, as it were. It's, a, it's an interesting way to put that together. I'd love to talk to you about that on another draft-related show. Uh, Joe Goodberry, great follow, by the way, if, you're, if you want to stay in tune with what the Bengals are doing. Uh, another guy we tried to have on the show, uh, did have him on pretty regularly at one time, and then he's, he's become too busy for us. He, he can't give us a, a one show a season these days. He, he's so a good friend. for us and, and, and give him a little cattle prod to be on our show again, because I'd love to have him on once yeah. He's a good friend. He's retired. He's retired from football content creation. Uh, we did the Lockdown Bengals podcast together for a while, and he will do some stuff in his spare time now. So if you catch him when he's free, you know, you, you might have a shot. But he uh, he's trying not to do as much. He's spending time with his three kids and mm-hmm. got a promotion at work. So um, well, good for him. Spending time living his life, I think, a little bit. But I am excited. I've never met Joe in person. He's been, I've been working on projects with him for years now. And last year we were going to go to a game we were going to go to the draft then covid happened mm-hmm. and then we didn't do those things obviously but this year i live in canada actually right now i'm from the united states i grew up in cincinnati but i live in canada and assuming that the united states makes it a little bit easier for vaccinated folks <laughs> to travel into the united states 
I will be going down to a Bengals game this year, and I'm very you know, excited I have for that. Canadian friends. That is a two-way street, my friend. It is. <laughs> They're having trouble getting back to see their parents and whatnot. <laughs> it is. And my, my parents are, are obviously in the States. They haven't been able to come up here. They've both been fully vaccinated for quite a while. And so I'm hoping. I'm hoping September, October, I can both go down to, to see the Bengals and meet some folks and, and then go see my family. That'd be great. Okay, well, you and me both. Let's go back to the to the uh, linebacking core yeah. where we left off before we came back to Mixon. But uh, there's one guy, obviously, Raven fans have some a few raspberries for, not in terms of of anything he did to the Ravens, but in terms of how he looked in Week 17. Who's that? That's Jimmy Pratt. Uh, he said some things before Week 17, and and he looked like he had given up uh, for most of that second half. Actually, for about the second quarter on in that game, in my opinion. Huh. If you, if you look at the film, the effort level is A.J. Green level embarrassing in terms of, of uh, you know, what he did in 2020. I'll, uh, I'll take your word for it. I, after week 10, kind of blacked out most of the Bengals season because, you know, week 11 was it? I don't know. Game 10. Not, not much to watch for hmm. uh, outside of having to cover the team after Joe Burrow gets hurt. So. Uh, I'll take your word for it. I think that the coaches feel like Jermaine Pratt has taken some steps each of his two years. And this is, I think, a make or break year for him. And they're rolling with what they've got at linebacker. They invest, invested heavily in the position in the draft in the last couple of years with uh, drafting Akeem Davis-Gaither in the fourth round, Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson in third rounds in back-to-back years, and and dipping in in the seventh round with Marcus Bailey from Purdue, hoping that you know, he was an injury discount diamond in the rough. Uh, when Bailey got on the field, it was a little bit rough for him. They also bring back Jordan Evans, who I think will primarily be a special teamer. And today, uh, today being Wednesday, claim off of waivers, Joe Batchy, Michigan State kid who bounced around a little bit his rookie year. The Bengals had some pre-draft contact with him, so not a surprise to see them interested with them needing some depth there, some competition there and a camp body there maybe with only seven linebackers on the roster. But the, the big wild card for this group is going to be Logan Wilson. Mm-hmm. If Logan Wilson can, can take a step and be even an average linebacker, they're probably in fine shape at linebacker. And I if you can't not. do that, then they're probably not. I, 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 I'm amazed that Logan Wilson is not you know, perceived that way. Now, admittedly, I don't watch all his games, but he killed the Ravens this last year. I played okay. great against the Ravens, and and I, you know I'm I, I'm I'm shocked. You know, obviously we we, we talked about his draft stock, uh, what one or two years ago. I'm trying to remember now. It, it, you got Davis Gaither last year. It's Davis Gaither year. and and uh, and Lo- and Logan Wilson were both last year. They they were rookies last year. Yeah. Okay, so later in the same draft, but Wilson's play against the Ravens was so good that uh, that I, I'm I'm really surprised to hear they didn't play well otherwise. And obviously, I didn't follow the Bengals in terms of uh, you know all their PFF scoring by game or whatever. But uh, uh, that's really interesting to hear. Ogan Joby is kind of the same thing. I talked to the Browns guy, and he's like, well, Ogan Joby's only good games come against the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, kind of up and down, right? Rookie season for a linebacker coming from Wyoming into the NFL in a COVID offseason. You, you wouldn't necessarily expect that guy to, to hit the ground at full speed, although with his age, he was 24, I think, as a rookie. He, he needed to hit the ground running to some extent. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, he, he certainly had flashes, and there's reasonable confidence that he can take that step the game could slow down for him a little bit this year he could be a fine linebacker it just doesn't seem to be a major point of emphasis for this defense they, they, they invested last year because they had nothing like 
they 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 had really a bare cupboard at linebacker Josh Bynes, of course. They bring in from Baltimore, which is a signing I really liked at the time, and he was just I kind of too. a guy last year for the Bengals, unfortunately. But um, the the focus has certainly been on the defensive line and in free agency, major focus on the secondary in the last couple of years. So two two things I want to ask about linebacker. The first was with the Bynes uh, signing, which, you know, what he gave the Ravens in terms of fixing the inside linebacker position with Fort and Bynes midseason in 2019 was amazing because it gave amazing. two guys who understood what was going on behind them in the passing game. Yeah. And the Ravens, other than C.J. Mosley, really haven't had that for a long time. Uh, and and they, needed, they need to get that back. They still don't have it. Patrick Queen doesn't really, doesn't really understand it. has a lot of problems with it, and, and Board does not either. But that leads to my other question, which is how, how do you expect the Bengals to to play how much dime do you expect him to play and and what what does their passing down alignment look like in terms of inside linebacker and the six defensive backs or or two inside linebackers and five defensive backs i think that historically you think about mike zimmer's bengals or paul gunther's bengals they never played dime mm-hmm. like ever i mean maybe maybe an end of game situations right that would be it but lou anarumo's bengals have like to put three safeties on the field mm-hmm. and they bring in Ricardo Allen from Atlanta who Lou Anarumo had back at Purdue. He was a slot corner for Anarumo at Purdue. So I'm not even sure if he's still a safety or if Anarumo wants to put him back as a back backup slot corner behind um, Mike Hilton, newly signed from the Pittsburgh Steelers to play slot corner for the Bengals. So I, I think that you could see some more three safety stuff. Ricardo Allen could be that third safety. And they might do that against some of the lighter looks on passing downs. If they do keep two linebackers on the field, I think that the hope would probably be that it's Akeem Davis Gaither and Logan Wilson, because those guys are a little bit more athletic, but I'm going to be really interested to see the role for Davis Gaither this year. If he's just kind of, they put him in that overhang pass rush kind of role a little bit more, or if he's been able to add some weight and, and be a little bit more versatile uh, because Jermaine Pratt converted safety is a guy that you would expect to have some ch- some coverage chops and you know at times it shows up but I think that learning the defense and, and learning the NFL has been an adjustment for him and it, it hasn't been helped by some instability on the defensive side of the ball they they had a hard time in Luana Rumo's first year and at times in the second year getting the entire defense on the same page this is I think we might have talked about this once before, but it might have been another Bengals uh, pod reporter guy. Um, it's been a long time since Marvin Lewis obviously has been uh, co- it's been sometimes he's been coaching, but it's been a lot longer since he's had a heavy involvement in the defense is my understanding, particularly since the Zimmer era at the beginning of the Zimmer era. I don't think he's had too much of a hand in it. But when Marvin Lewis was the defensive coordinator at Baltimore in 2000, they played the most dime and quarter they ever has. They played these huge defensive heavy packages. And, you know, people know the starting 11 for the 2000 Ravens, particularly in Baltimore, but even other places too. And they certainly don't know the three backup defensive backs who were in there for all of these critical high leverage passing downs and, and doing great stuff. But it's Bailey, Trapp and Harris. And, and nobody knows those guys anymore, but they were, they, you know, they played 34 and a half percent diamond quarter packages way before that was prevalent in the NFL. So I expected when Lewis went to Cincinnati, that was going to be one of the big shifts. And then, I, you know, it, it just it didn't end up being that way. Obviously, he gave the reins over on the defense to, to other coordinators. Yeah. 
And that's a, a very interesting observation. And, and at this point for the Bengals, uh, kind of distant history, I guess. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I, 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 let's let you get to cornerback safety in whichever order you like. Yeah, let's talk about cornerback because it's a little bit more interesting and new and exciting. This is a totally overhauled room. There are going to be zero returning starters for the Bengals at cornerback this year with William Jackson departed and uh, Mackenzie Alexander departed. They're replaced by Chido Beauzie from Dallas, who was injured last year, didn't look very good trying to play through or come back from that injury for Dallas. Also dealing with the new defense down there under Mike Mike uh, McCarthy. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Uh, and so I, I do expect that his athleticism can play up. I like Abouzier's athleticism quite a bit. You go back a couple of years and some of his plays on the ball were, were kind of crazy. So some flashes of some ball skills there, probably better as a, as a zone corner than as a press man corner. And they're probably going to use his running mate on the outside, Trey Waynes, in more of a press man capacity. So I am going to be interested to see how they balance those two on the outside. I think Awuzie can probably do both, but I admittedly am not terribly familiar with his work prior to 2020. So that is a bit of a question mark for me at this point still. Then Mike Hilton comes over from Pittsburgh. I think this probably betrays their intention to get a little bit trickier on defense. Mike Hilton, the the most blitz happy and one of the most successful slot corner blitzers in the NFL. He got a long-term deal from the Bengals. So you think about this unit and there's some speed, there's some athleticism, there's some questionable coverage chops at a couple of positions that is a little bit concerning, but they invested very highly in Trey Waynes, and they believe in his ability to be a number one corner, whether or not that is misguided. The depth here at this point looks pretty good, and this may or may not be a reaction to last year when they were forced to go to their CFL signees at corner because of injuries they had. But uh, adding Darius, or keeping Darius Phillips, I guess, for depth where, you know, you might think he should be a starter if you watch his tape. He has... A lot of ups and downs, but incredible ball skills. And his his pass breakup and interception productivity, I think I saw a next-gen stat recently, was in the top five in the NFL. And he can't crack the field because he, he's had some injury issues. They signed Eli Apple for depth and is a guy that, you know, you don't want to necessarily be a starter. But if you're talking about Eli Apple as your fifth corner, I think that's a reasonable depth signing at that point. So I think that the top five guys you feel pretty good about, and they just need to have a little bit better injury luck because last year they were running out, you know, LaShawn Sims and Jalen Davis and Winston Rose and nothing against those guys. They're just not NFL starters and they're going to lose against quality NFL receivers. And they did. Well, we've had a couple of years like that for the Ravens, too, where they've, they've gotten down at the end of the year. There's been nothing left. Yeah. Let's, let's go to safety here. And, and I, I really like to talk a lot about safety depth because I think it fuels the dime conversation. But no question at free safety. No question at either safety to start. And Jesse Bates robbed of his all-pro recognition <laughs> by the voters of the NFL all-pro. I think it was a second-team all-pro. But, I, I, I mean, 
I'm probably biased here. I think he was one of, if not the best free safeties in, in, in football. I almost said baseball. In football last year, I was thinking center fielder, you know, that, yep. that crossover there. there. Uh, but Von Bell will start at strong safety. And there's also no real question about that. He, they, they kind of figured out how to use Von Bell a little bit as the year went on. He got comfortable in the defense and played pretty well in the second half of the season. They're not going to be a too high team very often mm-hmm. with those two safeties. They're going to let Jesse Bates kind of play single high quite a bit. And that's kind of leads to the, the press man I was talking about with Trey Waynes. They'll go press man, cover three out of that and, and kind of mix it up a little bit. And that's going to be the, the basics of what they do from a coverage perspective. But those two guys in the front are, are the non the, the undisputed starters and behind them. You know, there's Ricardo Allen, who I think is probably a fine backup a little bit late in his career at this point, probably losing athleticism that he never really had a ton of to spare in the first place. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think that it's a fine backup signing. I do wonder how much the Purdue connection to Lou Anarumo had to do with it is, you know how it is in the NFL. Guys sign guys they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides those two guys, Trayvon Henderson, a college free agent from 2018, and Brandon Wilson, a six-rounder from 2017, back with the team. Uh, kick returner, one of the better kick returners in the NFL when he can get it going. Kick returning, obviously, not what it used to be with the kicks moved up five yards many years ago at this point, but still very good when he gets a chance and uh, not necessarily great safety depth. I think he's a converted running back. So, uh, you know, the depth behind the starters isn't great. I wouldn't be surprised. This is one of those positions. This and offensive line, now that they got Joe Bacci off of waivers for linebacker, are two of the positions where I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bengals look to bring in some depth and competition to try to mix things up a little bit. But they've kept Trayvon Henderson around for a few years, too, as a college free agent from now three years ago, and he's still with the team. So they must like something there. So I know you do probably a lot of roster construction shows with the, with all the foot, all the pods you do, but you know I, one way I look to look at it is there's a four year declining option on players, and it sounds like the clock's running out on some of these safeties if they're 17 and 18 draftees. Yeah, I think Wilson had, Wilson was a was a restrictive free agent, I believe, last year, mm-hmm. and back again this year. They just they just re-signed him. Uh, and then I'm not sure what Henderson's deal was as a college free agent. I don't know what his contract was, but yeah, there's certainly nothing stable or long-term behind those top two guys. And Jesse Bates, I expect the Bengals to extend this offseason. Do, do they have anybody who's follows the pattern of a important special teams player who's a regular two-year signee? The Ravens have done that with a lot of players who they sign for, you know, two hundred, four hundred thousand dollars of of uh, extra money that they keep on the roster perpetually to lead special teams. Not lately. Uh, historically, I would say that has been more of a thing. Brandon Wilson is is maybe kind of that guy that that mm-hmm. could be one, but he's also going to back up safety given what they have on the depth chart right now. The one that I we talked about earlier that could emerge in this role. Is, is Stanley Morgan Jr. I talked about, uh, I've gushed about his special teams prowess quite a bit. Like, you go watch him as a gunner. If you're, if you're a glutton for film and you want to watch some punt gunning film, uh, I, I highly recommend some Stanley Morgan because he has some very impressive reps in that regard. But they've lost, they've lost some special teamers lately. Clayton Fedulin left last year to go to Miami. They just lost Ethan Carter, a backup tight end who had great speed. For a tight end and was a was a prominent special teamer for them 
And so they have currently five tight ends fighting for, I think, one roster spot on that side of the ball. We didn't go very deep there, but Mason Shrek, Mitch, Mitchell Wilcox, Cheyenne O'Grady, who you might remember was an undrafted free agent last year, didn't mm-hmm. stick, got a tryout, and is now signed with the Bengals. Pro Wells, a college free agent this year, and Thaddeus Moss. All of those guys, the only way any of them are going to make the team is if they can play special teams. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think they're looking for that right now a little bit. They, you know, they've had it as a running back in the past. They've had it as a tight end. They've had it as a receiver. They've had it as a safety. And I think Darren Simmons, who I think we can agree is one of the better special teams coordinators in the, in the NFL, is, is looking for his guys at this point as, as they're in OTAs and they're trying to figure out who's going to replace some of those special team snaps they lost. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a luxury, I think, at this point, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, to really be putting assets into kick coverage because I think it's less important. It's less important on punts, yeah. I believe, because there's just fewer of those returned, and it's less important on kickoffs because whenever it's important, you kick the ball into the end zone if you feel like that, yeah. uh, and you can pooch otherwise. But but to me, any, any guy that you sign for special teams, he better also have a function on defense or offense as a backup that's meaningful. Play, play dime safety, be your fifth receiver if you need that, but, but have yeah. something he can contribute. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, Jake, just a, a great pleasure having you on here. This is a great conversation. I'm sure the fans will love it in terms of, of uh, listening to you talk. We will we'll plan to have you on during the season, and I appreciate you, you taking an hour and 20 with us tonight. You mean you don't want to talk about the Bengals' fifth-round draft pick, kicker, the, the, Evan the kicker McPherson? The <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to talk about Evan McPherson. Bengals fans want him to be uh, Justin Tucker, and I'm trying to get him to pump the brakes because, come on, guys. What are we doing here? He had some long kicks in college, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's got a good leg. But mm-hmm. calling anybody or hoping anybody is the next Justin Tucker just feels ridiculous, like on magnitudes of proportion right now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's calm that one down, I'd say. Well, we, the, the Ravens are, are, are hot on the new free agent kicker. They, they get every year to compete with Tucker. Who they <laughs> well, can you can trade in a swindle of a deal. To... That's, that's exactly right. You trade him for a fifth-round pick every year. Yeah, there you go. And All then right. you use that fifth-round pick to trade for a former pro bowler or something like Elias <laughs> Campbell, right? That's, <laughs> that's the go. formula? There you go. Uh, Jake, again, pleasure having you on. Uh, other, uh, one more time for folks can find your work. Yeah, you can find me at Jake Lisko on Twitter. I'm not writing anywhere right now, so all of the content that I put out in written form or video form or whatever, I, I do tend to put out on Twitter. Occasionally, I'll stream. I'll do some live streams, and I'll tweet the links to those on Twitter as well. And then the, the Daily Bengals podcast, Locked on Bengals, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Okay, sounds like you're a big part of that, Jake, in terms of your national uh, contributions as well. Really appreciate having you on. Give Jake a follow. Uh, If you're looking to do a film study short, contact me about that as well. I won't go into depth. I think most of you know how to do that. But like all podcasters, we are looking for content right now and having good discussions with fans on a focused topic is exactly what we're looking for. Jake, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Ken. Have a good night. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Uh, 
Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.